The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn about the week ahead in stocks. My guest is Ben Levison, Barron's Deputy Editor, Markets Editor, and Trader Columnist. Welcome, Ben. Hi, Lauren. You've been observing and writing about the market's meltdown over the past few weeks. The S&P 500, as you wrote in your trader column, ended last week down 3.5% from its all-time high, and the Nasdaq is down almost 7% if my math is correct. You argued this past weekend that the sell-off could have legs, but not so fast, my friend. The S&P is up almost 1% today, and the Dow is up nearly 2%. What are investors to make of these crazy market swings? I wish I knew. No, I'm ah, kidding. All right, uh, this falls over. <laughs> yeah, we're done, uh, everybody. Yeah, thanks. No, um, you know, I, I, I think the first thing to say is that, like, we really haven't had a meltdown yet. The market's down 3.5%. What we've had is a massive pickup in volatility. Um, right, I, I exaggerated. And so, and, and, and I mean, it's massive. We've gone from um, a VIX of around 15 to a VIX of around 30. And even and today, that's the CBOE volatility index. You're yeah, that, that's basically how much volatility uh, traders are options traders are pricing into the stock market at this point, and and it's it's really doubled. Um, and even on a day like today, where we are seeing the market rebound um, quite nicely, or at least part of the market rebound, it's um, we're, we're not seeing the VIX come in. Um, it, it's still up there. It's, it's down a little bit, but I think it's down maybe three or four percent. But it's still up there around thirty. That, that's very elevated. Um, and so what that tells us is that we're going to get these swings. We're going to get big moves up and down. And I, the question is, you know, when does this volatility calm down, and in which direction does it resolve itself? Um, when I wrote the column uh, this weekend, what worries me, um, you know, there's what set off the first selling um, on Black Friday was, of course, the Omicron uh, variant um, of COVID-19. Um, you know, that got people really worried that we'd have, um, you know, a repeat of lockdowns and things like that. I think that passed fairly quickly. I, I do think what the market is really worried about is this change in tone um, from the Fed. Um, that uh, um, that uh, it, it, you know that there's. There was this belief that the market was going to have the Fed at its back for a while. And seeing the inflation the way it is, the Fed has backed off of that. Um, and I, I think that's what's going to drive volatility in the near term. Well, I think you anticipated my next topic, which is Jay Powell's flip from a dove to a hawk right after he was nominated by President Biden for a second term. And he told Congress last week that the Fed would likely speed up cutbacks to its emergency asset buying program, given that inflation has been running extremely hot. So you expect the Fed to follow through with this. Most people do. What do you think the consequences will be for the market? Do you think stocks will sell off ahead of the event, like 
like sell the rumor by the news or do you think the worst is yet to come? Um, I, I think we're it, it, it again, it adds to this volatility um, in the market. Um, we know that uh, this is a it's a very different environment that we're in than we were in 2018. But when the, the Fed hiked rates um, uh, back then, it ended up causing a, a real uh, meltdown in the market at the end of 2018, as uh, investors really thought that he went too far. Um, but we're in a much stronger economy right now. And um, I mean, I think we're looking at close to 10 percent uh growth in the fourth quarter um, with uh, much hotter inflation. We haven't seen an environment like this for a while. So I, I do think the Fed will follow through. Um, exactly what that means, I'm not sure of, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a faster taper. And there are a lot of people who think that's that's really necessary that, uh, you know, if you look at something like the, we'll, we'll talk about jobs later, but if you look at something like the unemployment rate, we're down to 4.2%. Um, How before, much lower can we go? Right before the uh, before COVID hit, we were three point five percent. So I mean, we, this has been a. I, I know people will probably disagree with me on this, but as recessions go, this has been inc an incredibly quick recovery, um, an incredibly hard hit at the beginning, and then we've come back very very fast. I mean, this is nothing like um, the recovery from the. Uh, um, from from the uh, um, financial, financial crisis. crisis. But when you consider the amount of stimulus poured into the economy, no wonder we've come back so well. Well, exactly. And this wasn't, you know, we, we in some ways treated this, uh, this uh, crisis as if it were a repeat of the financial crisis when it wasn't really. Um, and so a lot of this money is getting into the economy and being used and really getting things moving in a way that they weren't, um, you know, uh, 12 years ago now. Um, so I, I, I do think the Fed is going to have to move. Um, I think the thing to watch is um, uh, real interest rates um, because they're still negative. Um, and so even as the Fed raises rates, I mean, if it can get the 10 year even moving higher, which is not clear that it can, you know, those real rates are still negative. And that in itself is a very odd thing. Um, and that means that money is still very, very easy. So we shouldn't panic just yet. Not not just yet, but it's going to add volatility to this market. Um, I mean, I think we're seeing that already with this. Uh, what we're seeing right now in the market today, the Dow is having an incredible day. The S&P 500 is having a very, very good day. And the NASDAQ, I think, is flat. Um, the NASDAQ has been really, really weak. Right. And it's, it's sitting this out. And that makes sense. Um, you know, the, the discount rate that people are using to um, come up with their valuations is going higher than these stocks are going to the, the high price tech stocks and the high price growth stocks are going to be worth less. And their PEs are going to have to come in. And I, I think that's a lot of what is happening right now. So a reader had an interesting comment to your column this weekend regarding the Fed. And this reader argued that the Fed is blowing smoke and can't raise rates without printing more, even more money, given what rate hikes would do to the interest payments on the federal debt, which, as we know, is much larger than it used to be. Do you think that's a valid argument? I've heard it before. I don't. Um, I, it didn't stop the Fed um, during, uh, you know, from, from raising rates in 2017. Uh, 17, 18. And I don't think it will now. I mean, we have growth, we have inflation. Um, and that should mean that the Fed needs, um, is going to need less debt to fund the government that, 
you know, is that, uh, that there should be um, that, that there should be more tax proceeds and, and things like that. But I just don't think that's the way the Fed thinks all the time. This isn't, um, you know, after World War II, the Fed was basically forced to keep uh, rates low um, and it finally ended up in a big, messy thing in the early 50s. Um, but I, I think the, the Fed will be able to raise rates. I don't think it's going super high. It's not like we're going to 10 percent or something, but, you know, we're at zero. Um, and I think the and negative know, in real terms, as you and in real terms. Yeah. So um, it, even going up a little bit is not going to be that onerous uh, for the U.S. So meantime, while our central bank is talking about tightening monetary policy, the People's Bank of China just moved in the opposite direction, cutting the reserve requirement ratio for Chinese banks. This will allow the banks to lend more money and inject more liquidity into the Chinese economy. And it's the second time the PBOC has done this so far this year. Why do you think China's making this move and how will it help? Well, I, th I think the the big thing for China is that they haven't done this before. While everybody else was uh, cutting rates and things um, because of COVID, they didn't. Um, uh, they they just didn't react to um, the pandemic in the same way that the United States did or uh, Europe did. Um, and I, I think so. I think that there is some room there to uh, for them to actually go ahead and stimulate, uh, even as everybody else is. Um, um, sort of pulling back from their stimulus. Um, and, and that actually could be a good thing. There was some talk earlier um, this year, maybe a couple months ago, that uh, you know perhaps you could get enough easing out of the uh, PBOC to sort of offset the uh, tightening that goes on uh, in the U.S. And that'd be interesting to see. I mean, we'll be watching closely to see um, um, what's going on in China. But you also have these other issues there around um, uh, you know, around things like China Evergrande and the property developers um, that are um, in, in real uh, in a real tough position right now. And the credit spreads and high yield bonds um, in, in, in junk bonds, the way that uh, people measure that the yields is really is um, relative to risk free rates and they've blown out. Um, so there's a lot of concerns about that. And so I think the hope is that by easing monetary policy that they can go ahead and get the uh, get the economy to sort of straighten out the economy a little bit, straighten out the credit conditions there a little bit. And, may, and maybe it does juice things in a way that actually helps the global economy as well. Well, that, that would be a good change of events where the U.S. and China maybe inadvertently are working together. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was an interesting thing to see after um, if we remember back to the financial crisis um, in the immediate aftermath, it was China that was really keeping things from, you know, getting to be a total mess because they were still growing. And um, it was you know, as the United States was trying to get its house in order. Um, and, and perhaps there's kind of a reversal going on right now. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, for sure. That's a fair argument. So before we leave big macro topics like the market and policy, I want to take a look at small cap stocks measured by the Russell 2000 index. The Russell is actually in correction territory. It's down almost 11% from its high. And it's sort of making a mockery of our recent feature on the allure of small cap stocks. But we may be early. I wouldn't give up on us yet. Why do you think small caps have been slammed so badly? What do you uh, think the outlook? I, I just think that they, it's two things. Um, one is that they get hit hardest by, um, by COVID um, here in the United States. Uh, we, we saw how 
what, how easily the big companies can adapt to this. Um, they're large enough that they can uh, manage the, the margin pressures and things like that. Small companies have a much tougher time doing that. Um, the other thing is that uh, small cap stocks and high yield bonds in the U.S. are, are, are highly correlated. Um, and, and so you often have to look over at high yield to see what's happening with uh, to, to sort of get a clue as to what's happening with small caps. And um, the, the spreads in uh, in U.S. credit have been kind of uh, winding out a bit. It's not like China, um, but th there's a little more risk being reflected there. Um, I think partially that's uh, because of Powell. And I think that's having a spillover effect into small caps. Um, as you said, our, t our timing was uh, was pretty terrible on, on this story. It really looked like. Um, I, I don't for the for your chart watchers out here. Um, the Russell 2000 had been stuck in a trading range for a very um, long time, um, and it looked as if uh, you know everything was setting up perfectly for it. Really, if you go back to kind of February, um, small caps were doing nothing, and it looked like everything was setting up perfectly. Small caps are cheap relative to large. The economy was doing well. It looked like we gone past the delta. And and, and small caps broke out. I mean, it was it looked like a real breakout on the chart. Um, and then this other stuff happened and small caps fell right back into the range. And even with this 10 percent drop, this is where I don't necessarily like this idea of, a, of corrections and bear markets being set as a um, as, as a certain percentage point. What happened here is that small caps fell right back into that old range and they went pretty close to the bottom of the range. And um, that's where they've found support now. Um, and it looks like they've just going to settle right back into this trading range that they were in um, since February. And which means that the chart will look good again. <laughs> well, I mean, again, we're going to wait for it to try to figure out which way it wants to go. But I think no. as long as the economy is growing and as long as the stocks look cheap relative to too large, that there is room here for small caps to rebound. We should we should note that people did not even know what Omicron was, either the letter or the variant just two weeks ago and yeah. look at the damage it's wrought since then even though it doesn't seem to be the most pernicious of the COVID strains and, and it's and it's amusing to me at least to see uh technical analysts of which i am not one but uh, i do follow them closely you know that they're all sending out mea culpas saying look you know they, it, it, small caps and mid caps were breaking out and then boom you know they didn't um, you know, the, the chart looked fantastic and then it wasn't, uh, but the fundamentals still look uh, pretty decent there. Um, but I do think it has to get through these fears over uh, COVID in the Fed. Good. Glad we glad we talked about that for a bit. Now I want to move on to companies reporting earnings this week. Before I do, I want to remind listeners that we'll take questions at the end of the call. So, Ben, why don't we start with Toll Brothers? Barron's had a terrific cover story this past weekend by our colleague Andrew Barry about the housing boom, which he argues could last another decade. And Toll was certainly among the stocks mentioned. It's a luxury home builder. Yeah. What's the outlook for third quarter earnings? I mean, the earnings should be great. Um, you know, it's, uh, as you said, it focuses on luxury and that's really its selling point versus all the other home builders. I know that Andrew Barry, who wrote that cover story, likes Toll Brothers. Um, and it looks like, uh, you know, it wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, beat uh, its numbers when it reports. Uh, the biggest problem is that the stock has done really well recently. Um, it's gained 9% over the last five trading days. Um, 
And that to me is a worrisome thing. The stock reports tomorrow. And I always think that, you know, when you rally like that into a number, your numbers have really got to be good. And we know there are some things here with Toll Brothers that could could cause a hiccup. Um, you know, they had said uh, that uh, on their last conference call that um, they were putting some sales caps in place um, or some market uh, where some demand was too hot. There are other markets where you had the normal, um, you know, the normal kind of um, pullback in um, demand for new houses that comes in the wintertime. Um, you know, that that's that's been occurring. And so it'll be interesting to see how much uh, they talk about this. Did it have an impact? And does that uh, frighten investors when this number comes out um, on Tuesday? Um, I, I, I do think to Andrew's point is that there people keep looking at the home builders as, um, you know, they're in some ways tainted by. Uh, what happened uh, with the, the the real estate bubble um, in 2007, 2008, um, and then the, the blow up of that market. Um, and, and these are very different companies. Um, one of the things that uh, has been noted by a number of people is that, uh, you know, they're how do you value evaluate them? If you look at them on a price to book basis, they look expensive. But one of the things that has changed over the last decade or so is that they're not buying land anymore. They're buying options on land. And so their book the value. The book has changed. Exactly. The book value isn't what they were, but the earnings are getting better. The earnings are stronger and their PEs are still very low. A lot of these stocks trade in single digit PEs. And so as a long-term play, just given the state of the housing market, the need for new homes and things like that, they're as a longer term play, I think Andrew's cover is spot on. Well, we encourage all listeners to read it. And I happen to agree with you. I thought it was a terrific cover. So Campbell's Soup is also reporting very different kind of company. This was a great stay at home play back at the beginning of the pandemic. What's the outlook for Campbell now? Uh, poor Campbell. Um, I mean, it really had this tiny little moment in the sun um, at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all hoarding um, and goods, canned goods, and even canned soup. I mean, I don't even remember the last time that I, I made a condensed soup, but uh, you know, they, they had that moment, and there was even talk of some permanent shift for the company, especially because they've been activists in the stock trying to get things to turn around, um, and then it kind of just disappeared. Um, and, and the stock really hasn't done very well. It's down 15% this year, and, and, and that doesn't even really say really point to the, the, the damage there. JP Morgan had a note out uh, about the earnings. They were talking about how it, it trades at a discount to other people in the group, other food companies. Um, and then that's even with, uh, you know, inflation, um, they, they were hit by steel inflation. That's going away. Um, but there's just unclear. We should know that that's the cans, not the soup. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Use the steel. <laughs> we, we should hope. Um, and th the other thing that they, they note is that it, it seems like demand for private label condensed soup is growing. And that's rare in packaged foods, according to J.P. Morgan. You know, in most cases, people still prefer the manufactured brands. Um, and, and so people will be watching to see what happens there. I mean, I think the one thing you can say about the stock is it's gotten beaten up a lot. Um, it's at a triple bottom. It's at levels, uh, you know, it's below where it was at the start of COVID, um, uh, back at levels that it was there in like the middle of 2019. Um, and so if this support level holds um, and they can 
get some good numbers that um, really kind of get people um, to, to worry a little bit less about it, uh, perhaps it could rally. And uh, But we'll have to keep an eye on it and see because it just hasn't been the case for it over the last year. When, when this happens to a company, price goes down, business becomes more trouble. Do you think a company like this becomes a takeover target? I don't know. I don't know if Campbell can. I mean, there's hopes that it actually takes some action like splitting up um, into different parts. Um, and it, it does have a an investor day that is coming on December 14th. So right after earnings, really, um, where, you know, there are some people that hope that it's going to announce some corporate actions that can help t- uh, turn things around there. Uh, JP Morgan isn't convinced of that. They just think that the company will announce some EBITDA targets and, and, and things like that. But I, but I think that it's probably more likely that it breaks up and maybe sells off a piece of itself than the entire company gets bought. Well, it's definitely acquired companies over the years, so there there are lots of different pieces there. And um, I should note, I just looked it up, Campbell yields 3.6%, so you are getting paid to wait for something to happen. Yes, you are. That's a nice dividend. Very nice dividend. So let's move on to Costco for a moment. Who doesn't love Costco? The stock is up more than 40% year to date, although it's had a rough week or so. What's the outlook for Costco? Um, this is a good question because um, I think Costco's business is fine. Um, they had they released their November sales a little bit softer um, instead of being, I think in uh, October they were over ten percent and now they're just under nine ish. I want to say, um, don't quote me on that though. I may be wrong. Um, but you know, this is it's a great company. You know, they has a clean balance sheet is the way Raymond James described it. They have a sticky customer base. This number is amazing from Raymond James. Ninety one percent of U.S. customers renew, and millennials are joining it. Um, it it's just it is a great company. Everybody loves Costco, as they I do. said. Exactly. I mean, it's probably the simplest way to say it. What you have to worry about is the stock's expensive. Yeah. Um, and with the interest rates going up, is that going to hurt the stock? And you get these periods in it where it does. It pulls back, um, you know, it goes sideways for a while. And you worry that it's this is the end for Costco. The end of Costco has been predicted for years and years and years. You always have analysts saying, I like the company. It's too expensive. and The stock goes up anyway. And there will be a day where it does where that actually matters. Um, but I think for right now, even if it, uh, you know, with the stock being down a little bit, if it can uh, it beat some numbers, if it gives some decent guidance, I, I suspect the stock will be fine. Um, it, it's just, it has to show that it's still doing what it's always done and that, uh, you know, it, it might need some time to digest uh, its valuation though. It found a formula and the formula works. Does it ever? So let's take a look now at Lulu, Lululemon Athletica, a very different kind of retailer. Lulu sells athletic clothes, yoga pants, and so forth. The company is also reporting earnings on Thursday. What is the outlook for Lulu? Well, th- this was an interesting one. Um, so they are um, probably going to beat um, the the big problem with them. And this is coming from, uh, U- according to UBS, is that they, even if they beat, there's 
there, there are very large risks that they're going to have to cut their guidance um, because of supply chain challenges. They um, do a lot of their um, production gets done in Vietnam, where there have been a lot of issues. Um, Nike had those issues, too. Um, they reported a long, long time ago. Um, and, and so that's just something that we have to worry about with Lululemon. The thing with them is that they've really gotten pounded. Um, they're down 10% in the last five trading days. Um, and, and so that there could be a relief rally um, for the company uh, if, if they beat the numbers uh, by enough. I just, uh, you know, you look at this, you look at that kind of thing where they drop that much and, you know, the stock's up now 25%. It was up quite a bit more um, before this number uh, on the year. And so I think it's one where if the numbers come in solid, there can be a relief rally for it. It's still, you know, people, they, they like Lululemon products. They, you know, they like uh, athletic wear uh, generally, and they, they seem to like uh, um, Lululemon clothes. And uh, it's been the pandemic uniform in many parts of the country. It, it really has. Um, it just uh, it kind of frightens me. But, uh, you know, I'm, of course, sitting here in a suit. Um, so, but yeah, so I, I do think that if the numbers are, are, are good enough, this thing is, is positioned to rally. All right. Thanks. Let's move on. We have a couple minutes left. And before we get to listener questions, we'll talk a few minutes about the economy. Last Friday's jobs report, the November jobs report, was the last big jobs number before the Fed meets in December. But we're going to get some more information on the job market this week and on inflation, which is the Fed's other obsession. So let's start with the jobs numbers. We're going to see we're going to get information on job openings through the JOLT survey, and we'll get initial claims for unemployment on Thursday. What are you expecting to hear on both of those? I think more of more of the same, unfortunately, or or fortunately, however you look at it. Uh, the JOLTs will probably show a lot of job openings, um, initial claims are going to be down in the low 200,000s. Um, and, and these are numbers that um, are, are really, I mean, if we're, again, we're talking about a recovery from a recession, these are normal numbers. You know, this this is what you usually see is like every week there are jobless claims in the 200,000s. Um, that, that's just normal. Um, and, and so I, I think the Fed is, is going to be looking at this job market and having to think about how tight is it really? Um, you know, not all the numbers show a tight uh, labor market. I mean, we only had, um, according to the, the payrolls report, it was 200 and something thousand jobs created last m- month. But that was a weird number. It doesn't seem to fit with what's going on, um, especially with the household survey, which showed a million jobs, more than a million jobs being and created. And the labor force participation rate went up. It went up, uh, unemployment rate down. And there's a lot of people who are self-employed now. Um, they're starting businesses. I just think that it's... Uh, in some ways, a very different economy right now than it was pre-pandemic. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I always felt that there was kind of this stasis in place after the uh, financial crisis where, you know, people were afraid to lose their jobs. Um, growth was, you know, anemic for most of that that period. You know, it's just, there wasn't a lot of, of excitement in this. I'm not saying that there's excitement now, but just that the pandemic has forced people to change how they think about things. Um, and and I, I think the Fed has to also. I think the Fed finally has. Well, a lot of people are talking about the great resignation, people walking away from the job force, people starting their own businesses, people living the lives they want to live after a terrible event. Yeah, I know I am. Excellent. Hard to measure, though. So let's talk about inflation, and then we'll go on to some listener questions. We've got the CPI coming out Friday. What's yep. the expectation on Wall Street? 
for the CPI and the corn number? It's supposed to come down uh, a little bit. Um, it, you know, both numbers, uh, the CPI. But transitory has been retired. Remember th- that. Which is, which is great. I mean, in, in some ways, you have to think the moment that Powell says, okay, it's not <laughs> transitory. It's like, okay, now inflation is going to come down. Um, it, it just, it, it almost has to work that way, doesn't it? Um, and that's what's expected this, uh, th- th- this uh, with this report, is that um, the CPI for uh, November is supposed to rise uh, 0.6%. Um, that would, on a monthly basis, that would be down from 0.9%. Um, for core CPI, which gets rid of um, uh, food and energy prices, it's supposed to rise 0.5%, uh, which would be down from 06 So still rising, um, but not uh, not as strong as not as hot as it as it was, and I I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see these numbers um, continue to to pull back a little bit, especially because we're going to start getting some base effects. Um, uh, the comparisons are going start going are going to start getting um, harder because um, we've had these huge leaps from the pandemic lows um, uh, this year um, and next year the the we're going to be comparing against that. So we'll see how these numbers continue to play out. But um, if they do continue to, to pull back, then, you know, maybe inflation is less of a problem and the Fed doesn't have to be as aggressive. So this leads directly to a question from Hal. Is there a danger of the Fed causing a recession if inflation is in fact transitory? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that's one of the things the market may be worried about when you look at the uh, the 10 year yield. Um you know, at, uh, what is it, 1.3 something uh, percent, um, that's ridiculously low um, for an environment where uh, economic growth is supposed to be 10 percent this this uh, this quarter. Um, and, and so I, I think that has to be part of it is like the, the inflation number going to get so scary that the Fed is going to have to tighten really fast and that causes a recession. And then uh, who knows what happens? Um, so I, I do think that's one of the the risks out there. I don't think it's the it's not the base case as Wall Street would put it, but it's certainly a tail risk. All right, glad glad to have posed that question. Brian asks: Is Microsoft an overpriced tech stock or a safe haven? Uh, that's a good question. I, th- I think it's someplace uh, in between, honestly. Um, what I like about Microsoft is that it's managed to avoid a lot of the regulatory pressures uh, that have been brought to bear on Apple, uh, Google, et cetera. Um, and, and I think that's largely because um, while it is enormous, it's, uh, it's, it has a market cap that's uh, about the size of Apple's, um, you know, they've been flip-flopping recently, that, you know, they're not the dominant player, I don't think, in in most markets. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's in the cloud business, but Amazon AWS is the big player there. It's in video games, but it has, you know, real solid competition from Nintendo and from PlayStation. Um, and so you go through it, its businesses and um, there's nothing that stands out as a target, but you also have these revenue streams that I think can be fairly consistent and play off each other. So it's, it's a pretty solid stock, but I do think once a company um, gets this big, it, it, it's hard to get bigger. Um, you the know, law it, of large numbers there. Yes. It, and, it, and the law of large operations. Yeah. And, and you look at like what happens to, uh, to companies when they have gotten enormous, um, uh, you know, there comes that point where they just, they, they, uh, more often than not, they do find a way to mess up and shrink. And, uh, and I think a good example would be GE. 
Um, I mean, this was the biggest uh, company around, I believe, back in uh, part of the 1990s. And you look at it now and it's, a, I think, literally a shell of its former self. Right. And soon it will be three shells because it's dividing into three three separate companies. Quite an entity. Yep. So Lee asks us, economist, he, he states and then asks, economist David Rosenberg, and we many of us are familiar with his work, believes that this economy is actually much more dependent on high asset prices, stocks, crypto, home prices, and so forth, than is conventionally thought. Thus, once the market begins to fall, it is going to materially affect aggregate demand and make the stock prices and make stock prices fall from here to a potentially greater degree than one might have otherwise supposed. Do you think that's a valid way to look at things? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think we're all wrestling with kind of the same, starting at the same issue as like, what's going on with the 10-year yield and the long, the long bond? They're just not going up. Um, it, it, it's just weird. Um, and people you know, blame it on uh, the Fed's QE and whatnot. And we're going to get a chance to see what happens when QE goes away. But I think there is something to um, uh, Rosenberg's thesis that, uh, you know, if depending on how, if the stock market in our economy is entirely dependent on credit and low cost of credit and the Fed is going to take that away, um, then there's a problem. Um, I hope, I look at this market and I hope that that's not the case, that there has been the one thing that's different now is that there's been a ton of money pumped into the economy. Um, and, you know, we're actually seeing um, inflation. Um, we're seeing economic growth at levels that we haven't seen in very, very, very long time. And so can this economy shift in a way um, where it is more about uh, uh, economic activity than it is about um, uh, um, financial engineering? Um, but I, I think it's going to it's going to be an interesting one to watch play out. I mean, the one thing we do know is when you look out long term, um, you know, we're not worrying about what's the market going to do tomorrow or even what the market's going to do next year. But if you're looking at like 10 years, valuations matter. And we know that stocks are expensive right now. And when valuations are high, we know that returns, uh, future returns over the longer term are not very good. And I think that is what we have to worry about right now. Well, I think also we may see that some of the highest priced stocks and high priced cryptos may really suffer, but the Campbell soups of the world may may do okay. And and there's also this uh, you know a theory out there that you know we've had this period where of time where Wall Street has done so well, but Main Street has kind of been left behind. Um, and and I'm not even I'm not even sure we should talk about Main Street being left behind because I think we're all uh, a lot of us are are pretty well off. Um, but that we could see the returns going to the economy and not to the stock market. Um, and, you know, you can see the, the economic growth, uh, um, do, the economy doing really well, but the stock market not doing as well as it has in the past, um, just because and partially because it's not the Fed pumping all this money in there. Um, I mean, it's one of these things that I that I think about as I try to figure out the long term um, and I'm really not sure where it goes. I think, Ben, you've hit on, um, and, and Rosie, Dave Rosenberg, has hit on some of the biggest questions of our time. We are really living in unusual times as a result of a pandemic, as a result of very unusual policies, and the next 10 years are going to be fascinating to watch. 
Alas, we're going to have to stop watching them now because we've come to the end of the call. But we'll be back next Monday, and it's, it's we're going to pick up the conversation where we left off. This is a fascinating market. Tomorrow, everyone, on Barron's Live, my colleague Eric Sabitz, Associate Editor for Technology, will speak with Paul Wick of Columbia Seligman Technology and Information Fund. They'll be discussing the outlook for tech stocks in 2022 and beyond. Should be a great call. Thank you, Ben, for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you, Lauren. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Stay well, everyone, and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.